Colossians chapter 2, reading from verse 1. That's page uh, 1155 in the church Bible, if you're using that. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Galatians chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers brought in, who slipped in to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God knows, shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And may the Lord bless the, the reading of his word and as we spend a little time in study together, thank God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we truly believe that though these words were written by the Apostle Paul nearly 2,000 years ago, they were not inspired by him. They were inspired by you. And you used Paul's personality, Paul's education, his, his ways of expressing himself to convey to the Galatians, but also now to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ask your blessing that you would take this word of yours written through man and use it to build us up in our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the most precious message that anyone can know, how to be right with God, how to be able to say, it is well with my soul. Lord God, thank you for such a blessing that I can stand here this morning and say, it is well with my soul because Jesus took my sin. And I pray, Lord God, that for any who are here this morning, they too would acknowledge that it is well with their soul because of what Jesus did nearly 2,000 years ago. Gracious God, thank you for all your goodness to us. Bless us then as we spend a little time in study. And Father, for the, those who are up in the crash, that they too would know the joy of the Lord as they care for little children, but that they would not feel absent from us, but rather know that they are, even what they're doing is worshiping the Lord together. Lord God, thank you for the church here in passage bless us and unite us all in Christ amen amen <clears throat> well um yeah Shane spoke a couple of weeks ago and then Steve spoke last week from, from Galatians 
But I would ask you, if you were asked to write a message, write a, a leaflet, let's say, to explain the gospel, to explain the, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, what would you put down on it? Would you, um, what would you write? I'm sure you might quote a few verses from the Bible. I'd certainly encourage that. You might write your own experience, how you came to know the Lord. Or you might try drawing diagrams or, or using an illustration. You'd have different ways of conveying the gospel. But what is the gospel? What is the, the good news that, that Paul is writing about here? And why is it so important? Well, as I said, Shane spoke a couple of, of weeks ago um, on, on the message of the gospel. So, so we have the message of the gospel and Shane said it was all about Jesus. Jesus and nothing else and nobody else. It's all Jesus, salvation of all of him. You just bring your sin and Jesus brings his righteousness and there's a trade-off. Jesus will say, I will take your sin, you can have my righteousness. And what Shane said is, is that it's absolutely free. You don't need to contribute anything. As, as prophet Isaiah said in the Old Testament, he said, come without money and without cost. And you who have no money, come buy and eat without money, without cost. And the gospel is utterly free. It's such good news. It's, it's incredible. And yet, good as that may seem, the gospel is a tough message. It is, it is very tough for the one reason of what Paul is writing, that there is no compromise. There is no give in whatsoever in any way with the gospel. If anyone changes it, Paul has written, let him go to hell. Literally, that's what he's saying. If you don't agree with this, you can go to hell. And that sounds very, very extreme. Um, it's a hard, hard line. There's no deviation from it. But that's the outworking of it, because there is only one way of going to heaven, and that is through Jesus. Um, Jedi spoke earlier. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is only Jesus. Uh, that sounds very extreme, and yet it is not unreasonable when you look at the life of Jesus Christ. Because remember when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he just prayed one prayer consistently. He agonized before God. He said, is there any way, Father, he begged, he pleaded, is there any way for me to avoid going through this? Any way, if possible, Father, let this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as thy will be done. And Jesus knew that there was only one way to be saved. And that was through his dying for our sin. He had to bear our sin. Jesus pleaded, but there was no other option. And that's why the gospel is, is uncompromising, because there is no other way by which man can be saved. No way that we can be redeemed. And that's why Jesus had to die at Calvary. And, and the message of the, the gospel is uncompromising because Jesus was uncompromising in his determination. That's what led him to the cross. He set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. That was what he was determined to do, to redeem you and me. So that's why we can say there's only one gospel. And sometimes, unfortunately, Christians, as a result of that, can be accused of being a bit arrogant. You say that you're the only way. You say you have the truth and no one else has it. Well, it's not I say that. It's what the gospel says. It's what Jesus said. It's what the, the whole Bible says. It is only Jesus. And the danger is, unfortunately, that we can be accused, as I say, of being arrogant. And I would advise you in this, 
if you're accused of being arrogant in, in proclaiming the gospel and being so exclusive, make sure that it's the message that you bring is seen as arrogant and not you yourself. Preach it with humility, with grace towards people. But do not compromise because Jesus didn't compromise. And then last week, Steve spoke about the transforming power of the gospel. He mentioned that it transforms your life. So how does it transform you? Do you I don't see any halos over people's heads here. Um, no, no one has developed any of those. You don't sprout wings like the angels are supposed to have. No, it doesn't transform you that way at all. So how does it transform you? Well, we, we're going to look at that. If it does transform us, should you even put that in the little leaflet that you're writing, that the gospel should transform you? Because in a sense, you should, if, if that's the outworking of the gospel. As I said, you have to be prepared to present the gospel with grace and with kindness. So we have the message of the gospel. And then this morning, we're going to look at the messengers of the gospel. Paul spoke about himself, about Peter, James, and John, those messengers. And you say to Paul, but Paul, are you sure that you're right in this? Because, you know, you could be wrong. Maybe you have it all wrong, in fact. And yes, you say you received it by revelation from God. But maybe you're mistaken. Maybe you took it up wrong. Maybe, Paul, you should ask someone else what they think. And, for example, you talk to the apostles. They spent more than three years with Jesus. They'd know his mind and his thinking better than you. Maybe we should talk to them. Uh, and maybe we'd get a different message from them. So Paul does just that. The, these other messengers, you look at Paul himself and by nature, and I'm sure all of us know a little bit about the story of, of Paul before he was a Christian, when he was named Saul, he was an uncompromising person. He was absolutely, I suppose you could almost use the word brutal in his determination. He had Christians murdered, literally. He was tough as could be and as tough as Paul was as a persecutor of the church. He brought that same toughness and determination with him into his Christianity so there would be no compromise. Paul was not one for giving in. And, and you'll read that as you go through the, this letter in particular. The letter to Galatians is often seen as the most typically Pauline gospel or Pauline letter of all his letters because it just comes in with a wham and he hits everyone who opposes him in it. And that was the personality of Paul. That was the character of the person he is. So, for example, when Paul was, was, was uh, called by God um, and it was Ananias, uh, um, one of the, the, the early Christians was Ananias and he laid hands on Paul. And when God was speaking to Ananias, he said to him, I am sending you to Paul and I want you to tell him how much he is going to suffer for my name. God didn't say to Paul, I'm really going to use you and, and you're going to have a great time preaching the gospel. No, it was, tell him how much he's going to suffer for my name. And I suspect, you know, what, when you read through the life of Paul, I suspect Paul would have thought, how much I'm going to suffer for God's name? Bring it on. Because I like a little bit of sadism. And I, I, I just like a bit of testing. And Paul is like that. And and he was thinking, I don't care who stands against me. I I'll, I'll, won't back down. I don't care what they do to me. They can flog me. I'm not giving in. 
because Paul was like that by nature. Self-denial, hardship, bring it on. I can cope with it. People don't bother me. I'll stand against anyone. And if I die, so be it. I am not going to give in, whether it's as a Christian or, or as a Jew. I am not giving in. That was the nature of the man Paul is. But he didn't realize what God had in store for him. Because what he was going to be facing was not just persecution and opposition. It would be the care of God's people. It would be the concern for the truth of the gospel. He would be dealing with people. And people break your heart far more than sticks or stones. Paul was going to find. He, he said, every day I face the concern of burden for all the churches of God. And dealing with people, as I say, is much tougher for Paul, but he was going to be determined and keep going. But he comes to Jerusalem, finally, in this letter we find. And in the personality that Paul went, wherever he went, it seemed to be that rioting followed. He was just like that. He stirred up trouble. Um, and surely you'd say, when he comes to Jerusalem here now to meet the apostles, it's going to be a big bust up because he's going to be hardline. And the other gospel writers, the other, the other disciples, they might not be as, as determined because you look at someone like Peter. Peter was, a, he was I suppose, the, the head honcho among the apostles. When Jesus asked the question, I have the answer, Peter would say. He might be wrong, but he'd be the first one to put up his hand. Jesus, they might all abandon you. Not me, not me, no. Peter was always the first one to put his foot in it, speak out. Strong, strong personality. Unfortunately, we have to be aware that strength of personality is not always the same as strength of character. And the Bible commends strength of character, but it doesn't give much credit to strength of personality. And, and just as a Christian, to be aware of that, that being a rich, strong personality does not make you a strong character, someone whom God is going to use. He may use you, but the Bible says character produces perseverance and work on your character rather than your personality. That's just by the way. But that was Peter. God still used him. Big personality as he was, weak in character. God still used him very, very much. But he had known Jesus for three years. He would have known the thinking of Jesus, surely, far more than Paul. And then you look at, at, the, at, at John, the, the gospel writer. John, he was an interesting person because John, he wrote the gospel of John. He wrote the the letters of John and when you read John's letters I remember the Gospel of John was the first part of the Bible I ever read and it was fascinating because I, I thought this Jesus you get to know him so personally you get to know God personally in the Gospel of John you get to know the mind of God even in, in, in the letters of John John was a deep writer very very rich and, and sweet in his understanding of, of of what God was really like. He knew Jesus. So he knew the mind of Christ far richer than anyone else, it seemed. He was known as the apostle whom Jesus loved, describing himself that way, and as if to say, how could God love me, knowing his own self? How could God love me? That's how he described himself, as the one whom the Lord Jesus loved. But surely you'd say he was a man of, of thought, a man of, of just to meditate on things, a bit more conciliatory in his, in his approach to life. And you'd say, surely he would disagree with Paul. Surely Peter 
who knew them the way that Jesus lived on earth and, and could see the way Jesus lived, they would surely disagree with Paul in the hardness of the gospel. Would they disagree? Because they would say, Paul, you never spent time with Jesus. You got a revelation, but it's your personality coming through in, in your uncompromising nature. And yet they all had the same attitude. They agreed according to this letter that Paul should preach the same gospel exactly as them. That no one is saved through the law. There is no other way to be saved but through Jesus. Peter wrote in his letter, he says, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. That was Peter. And then John, again to quote Jedais earlier, John quoted Jesus. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and so the apostles, the other apostles agreed 100% with Paul. Despite Paul's strong personality, his strong, determined manner, we have the same gospel. We have exactly the same gospel. There is no yield, no giving in it. And this gospel, this good news, then, is it simply a hard line? Do you go out and preach and say to people, repent and turn to Christ? And your sins will be forgiven? Well, yes, that is true. But is that all there is to it? And if anyone disagrees, let him go to hell? Well, if they disagree, it's their choice. But doctrine is vital. That's absolutely true. And Paul wrote the letter here because of doctrine, because of teaching. In fact, the reason Paul wrote any of his letters, or Peter, or, or James, or John, they wrote to correct faulty doctrine. But there is more to the gospel than that, believe it or not. There is more. And let's be clear about it. Salvation is found in no one else, even yourself. It is Christ who saves you. You can't contribute anything. But when Paul has finished speaking, he writes just one little line at the end here. Adds one little verse that we easily overlook. It's verse 10 there, and it says, only they asked us to remember the poor, very thing I was eager to do, remember the poor. So the gospel is absolutely uncompromising, and yet there is that little bit at the end. What does he mean, remember the poor? Because it's not just the, the message of the gospel, it is not just the messengers, their varied personalities, it is also the compassion of the gospel, because it is vital in the way we present the gospel. The gospel is all about people. And that was why Jesus came, because he came to die for sinners. And, and that one little word when, when Paul says, remember the poor. And you don't normally think of Paul. I don't think Paul in his day would have been doing um, a charity fund run. He wouldn't have been doing bungee jumping you know, to raise funds for charity. I don't see Paul doing those things. But he never, ever forgot the poor. Because as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you know, when, when Paul came to Jerusalem for the last time, you know why he came? He came, he was bringing gifts for the poor. That's what he said. When he was making his defense before Felix, he said, I came to Jerusalem to bring gifts for the poor. And if you read through his letters, read through Corinthians, remember the poor. He was always, and we, we tend to overlook that, that Paul was concerned for compassion, for charity as well. You read through his writings and you'll say doctrine, doctrine, you know, lifestyle, lifestyle. But then he says as well, remember the poor. Do not forget them. 
What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It concerns not just men's spiritual needs, though that was why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, but also men's temporal, his material needs. And compassion is the outworking of the gospel. When Steve mentioned last week about the transforming power of the gospel, that is the effect it should have on you, that it transforms you not just spiritually, not just intellectually, but personally as well. It should have that. Because I will say, if the gospel has no effect in your life, either the gospel is at fault or you are at fault in not allowing it to apply to your life or else you're not a Christian at all. The gospel should have an effect on your life. If there is no compassion in you as a result of Jesus Christ coming into your life, then Jesus Christ has not come into your life. And the reality is you, you look at the life of Jesus and he spends at least three years teaching about the kingdom of God, instructing the disciples, training the apostles and working miracles. But through all of it, wherever you read through the gospels, there is the compassion of Jesus coming out. It is in his nature. It is the nature of God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jesus, when he walked on earth, he... When, when Jesus was at, remember the story of the widow's son in Nain? Jesus had compassion on the widow. She was an only, her only son had died. And it said, Jesus' heart went out to her. When Jesus fed the 5,000, that was the compassion, the practical compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ working out. When, when Jesus saw the woman caught in adultery, he didn't condemn her. He had kindness and compassion for her. And this is the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the nature of God himself. And that's why love and charity and compassion cannot be separated from the gospel, because it's a reflection of, of who Jesus is. And one of the great dishonors, I, I feel, to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ is a preacher who will preach hellfire and damnation, but without anything of the nature of Christ, because it is, it is all one gospel. And I'd ask you, what do you think is the most well-known parable that Jesus ever told? I'm not asking for you to put up, you can put up your hand if you want to, but, and I don't know for sure. But if someone asked me, what is the most well-known parable in the whole Bible? I would say it's probably the story of the prodigal son. And the reason Jesus told the story of the prodigal son was, it said the Pharisees were looking at Jesus and they despised him because he was eating with the outcasts, the publicans, the sinners. And so Jesus began to tell some parables about compassion, about the father heart of God. It was as a result of the fact that the Pharisees were saying, you've got it wrong your lifestyle is wrong. And Jesus was saying, no, you do not know the compassion of your heavenly father's heart. And so he told the parable of the prodigal son that I'm sure all of us know. And it's a reflection of the Lord of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is exclusive and unyielding, yes, but it is filled with compassion. And Jesus, when he walked, he always walked with compassion, caring for those who were suffering in a, in a sin-cursed world. And it is, it is a sin-cursed world. We, 
We pray this morning for, for Sue Ellen's niece. My, my own brother died during the week, sadly, very suddenly. Sin brought suffering and death into this world. But Jesus came because he cares about man in his lostness, in his suffering. And again, to return to the transforming power of the gospel, I would say to you, if you are no different from, now that you say you're a Christian, if you are no different from when you, before you became a Christian, then I would say maybe you're not a Christian at all. If it has not affected your heart, then is the Holy Spirit living in you? Because the gospel is exclusive. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. And that may offend other religions. It might offend our sense of self-worth that there's nothing good in me. It might offend politically correct people. But if anyone has a problem with the gospel, bring it to Jesus and talk to him. It's, it's not my gospel. It is not the gospel Shane spoke of two weeks ago. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is salvation, but it's not salvation only, but a new creation, a new approach to people. And it's not a, a set of doctrine. But part of being a new creation is what Paul and the other apostles stress here. The only thing that they stressed was what I was in, in, uh, concerned for as well. Remember the poor. Because it is a new approach to people. It's not a set of doctrines. And part of the new creation is, is remember the poor, remember the outcasts, remember those who are in need in any way, whether it's material needs, whether it's social care for people. It is the kindness of Jesus being worked out in the gospel in your life. And surely one of the greatest examples of a life transformed was that of Paul himself. Because I suspect that if Paul had not been a Christian, he would have been a, an impossible person to get on with. Absolutely impossible. But because of the gospel, because of his sense of responsibility that I am responsible for the death of many Christians before I myself was saved. I am responsible. I have to tell people the good news, but I cannot just bring a raw, hard doctrine. I must bring the warmth and the love of the Lord Jesus with it. The gospel is as, as firm as ever, but with a heart for God's people, the spiritual needs, but also their present needs. And, and let's just be, be clear about this. What Paul and the other gospels are saying, the other apostles are saying here is not that Jesus died and took your sin, but you have to contribute to it by, by your good deeds, by charity. That's contrary to the gospel. That is not the gospel at all. But it is what he is saying is the gospel, if it saves you completely, you become a new person with a new nature and a desire to live like Jesus lived. And I'll just end it by, by saying, it's, it's not a great illustration, but to say, for example, a, a man, he might be single, he might be enjoying his life and play his sport, go out with the lads, go home to his, his family and, and a ready-cooked meal, go to work without ever thinking about anything or anybody else because he's single he's not he, he's not accountable to anybody really but if that man gets married 
he can no longer go about doing his own thing, playing his sport, going out in the evenings on his own. No, he now has to take somebody else into account. And it isn't that, that, that now that he, he it's, it's not that the behavior makes him a married man. It is because he is a married man, he now behaves in a different way. And in the same way, if you are a Christian, it should impact your life. It should make you think, remember the poor. How am I living like Jesus lived? And so when you become a Christian, just to say you no longer belong to yourself, you no longer can live as, as you used to, you belong to Jesus, and your life should reflect such a change. And that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And thank God that it doesn't come down to wearing a halo or wearing wings or anything like that. It is an internal, life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life, shaping you more into the likeness of Jesus. Let's pray and thank God for the gospel. Father, thank you for this precious word that Paul, though he was a hard, unyielding person, yet when the gospel came into his life, he was transformed, not just in his, in his doctrine, but in his very heart. And I pray, gracious God, that we too would, like that, be a people who reflect the nature and the love and the compassion of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Thank you for the goodness of God in saving us. But, oh God, thank you that it doesn't end there because you are always working in us to shape us, but through us to, to show Jesus to others. May we never let you down, Lord Jesus, but honor you in the way that we interact with others. And this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen.